<laughs> so what are we, we're gonna put just like sexy saxophone music over this <laughs> that, that, that everybody just shut off the podcast if, if, if we just do that like vocally then it's fair use so. it's fair use <laughs> no i don't know if that's true <laughs> no it's a cover it's fine it depends how off key you are then it's fair use I mean, Agatha was pretty on point. Lo-fi, lo-fi. <laughs> lo-fi it, it up. Pretty lo-fi on sex. point. And uh, we're, we're back with a special romantic episode of, I almost said the cinema in my head. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> let's take this from the top. <laughs> no, no, no. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna roll with it. Of Asians Represent, we're back. This is the February discussion episode, and we have a special guast with us. <gasps> Would you? Would, I yeah, you are a special guest. Every time I see you, this, my, sp- this is my first like roundtable discussion thing where I'm not role playing. It's Steve. It's it's Steve. It's Steve. It's Steve. Now, oh wow, we were like in sync there. Yeah, we were. Are we just in sync today? Because we were just like saxophoning it up, and then we went. It's Steve. But uh, every every episode that we have you on is a special episode, Steve, Aww. because you're a very special human being in my heart. Oh, I feel the love here. Mm-hmm. And we have candles. We have a scented candle. Some non-scented candles and a bottle of special Lagavulin. Amara or Steve, Steve, you brought it, right? Yeah. Care to uh, explain what what we have? It's booze. No, it's it's like <laughs> it's like uh, it's the Nick Offerman like uh, Lagavulin. Eleven years, it's so smoky. It's like it's like you open it up, and it's like a campfire in your nose, which sounds <laughs> awful. It sounds like you don't want that, but trust me, you want that. That's Nick complex. Offerman said that you must. <laughs> Okay. Actually, I met I met Nick Offerman no. once. Yeah, what? it was in uh, it was when the Rapture was happening. <laughs> Remember, like oh, a few years ago, the when the Rapture was happening. I forget the year, what? but I was yeah. Remember, there was everybody's like the world's gonna end, blah blah blah. Twenty twelve, not twenty twelve. Was it? I don't remember. I was in New York with my brother. We were on a family vacation, and we went to NBC. And outside of the NBC store, we saw this paper sign, and it says "Meet and Greet with Nick Offerman." And there were no people in line. What? What? I know. I think this this is before they were like he was really really big. Oh, okay. Like before Parks and Rec, or no, no, no. This was during Parks and Rec, mm. around like season two, season one. Like was so divisive. People didn't like it. I loved it. Mm-hmm. And we were like, oh my god, we get to meet Ron Swanson. So we sat outside the NBC store and watched all the people with their cars and all the Rapture stuff. And then we went in and we met Nick Offerman. And I shook his hand, and he said, "Where are you from?" I said, Toronto. And he's like, Toronto sucks. <laughs> he, said, he said, Toronto is my least favorite Canadian city. You should go to Peterborough. <laughs> no. What? That sounds like a Nick Offerman story. Uh, he said, and I was like, I was like, excuse me? He's like, yeah. Like, he's like, Toronto, pff, go to Peterborough. And I said, why? And he's like, because they have a canoe museum. He oh straight up said because they have a canoe museum. Because he carved his own canoe once, I think. He's a woodworker. Yeah. Yeah, he has like his own like like shop and everything. But he was like, yeah, they have a canoe museum. And he, he proceeded to tell my brother and I all about the canoe museum in I Peterborough. Think, I think I've been to this canoe museum, actually. <laughs> what? Yeah. Apparently, like, you could like go out onto the water from it in a canoe. Oh, just kidding. I didn't go. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. You went to a museum with a canoe. It might have been in Peterborough. Maybe was, that's all they have in Peterborough. I don't know. That sounds the kind of that sounds like the kind of hot take. Like today, Amazon dropped their most romantic city in Canada, and it's Fort McMurray. What? Wait, what? What? Wait, are you seriously? Yes, this is one hundred percent what Amazon came out with today. They're clearly wrong. Obviously, the most romantic city is Toronto. 
Uh, I thought you were going to put an Amara spin on that. I don't, I don't know what Fort is Fort McMurray? I feel like that. Yeah, I know, right? Isn't I feel like an oil town? <laughs> and I feel like there's something kind of mean-spirited in that. Cause, About Fort McMurray? Yeah, because they, they, they were burnt, weren't they? Oh, yeah, they were affected. Weren't they affected? They, you, were they affected by fires? Is that what Fort McMurray was? Well, mm-hmm. while Amar looks at it, I want to continue my Nick Offerman story. Oh, there's more. There's more. So I have a, I'll show you after. He actually signed a photo of Ron Swanson for me that they were giving out, and it was free. And he's like, who's that behind you? I was like, oh, that's my brother. And he said, what's his name? I'm like, is he just going to write to Jamie <laughs> instead of to Daniel? And then he wrote to Daniel. And he wrote, sorry, you're pals with Jamie. Nick Hofferman. What? <laughs> and I, I framed it, and it sits on my bookshelf over there behind us. And it's one of my prized possessions. Except he spelled, oh, it was Fort McMurray. Oh, no. that's uh, What about the fires? Uh, this article does not mention the fires. I'm sorry for interrupting your. That's okay. Um, no. The the most the thing that still bugs me is that he used the wrong your. <gasps> okay, now you have to show me. I'll show you after he used the wrong your. Wait, post it somewhere. I'll po- I'll post it on our Facebook after. Yeah. Um, I'll show you. I'll show you after this. He he. I look at every every time I look at it because it sits right next to my lightsaber. I, every time I look at it when I go to play with my lightsaber, <laughs> I look at Which it is and I, hourly, and I just go, oh. Nick, oh. come on. I'm so excited for this. <laughs> well, they say you never beat your heroes. <laughs> never beat your heroes. Oh, that's a different story. Mm-hmm. I have a different story about David Suzuki. <gasps> no. Okay. Yeah, that's, a, that's, I don't that's not one. in the romance story because I want to talk about Nick Offerman. Because what, what a what an amazing human being. But this is our, our romance episode. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I, oh, just, yeah. I just wanted to confirm from Google. Yeah, 2016, Fort McMurray Wildfire. Remember that was really so it was effective. I remember yeah. Anyway, so I wonder why they chose that. It, because is it to draw attention to Fort McMurray so we a, can help or to speak to the resilience of the Fort McMurray residents? Okay, I can respect that. I, I have to confess, I actually don't understand why Amazon Canada is doing a list of the nation's most romantic uh, cities. I am very unclear about Because this. they wanted to jump on the listicle train. People love listicles. We're talking about a listicle. Sure. It just doesn't seem on brand for Amazon, you know? What is what is the second most uh, second, romantic? Second, second is Toronto and then followed up by Yellowknife. So I, I just, I had to run think, and get it because Steve was so excited. Okay. I think Banff is more romantic. Uh, only because that's a euphemism for sex. What? <laughs> is Look it? at that. Sorry. Sometimes. Your pals with Jamie. Let me see, let me see. The podcast is over. I have to go home now. Like, I can't. <laughs> yeah. There's, yeah, well. yeah, he spelt it wrong. Sorry, can I see that, too? I wish Nick Offerman was listening to this. We should, put, we should just put this on the table next to the Lagavulin and the candles. Yeah, we should. It fits. It fits. We're going to take a photo there. There's something really eerie about all of these together. It's like, this it's is like a we're shrine. like this is a shrine. It's like and we're a, making an offering to Satan. It's like we're doing a, <laughs> a seance. Nick offering. Oh my oh god. Oh my god. <laughs> and we've all made really terrible puns. Amar has has outdone myself. I you've think, outdone yourself. Has have have you made that social account? Is that official? Can we get people to follow it? <clears throat> I have in fact created the socials, the Insta, the Facebook, and also the Twitter for Cinemar. That's C-I-N-A-M-M-A-R. Go ahead and start following me because then you will get a sense of what's being programmed and played at the cinema. My thoughts on movies. 
Do you want to explain what the Cinemar is? The Cinemar for, for, the, the, for the 20th time. <laughs> Wait, for, have we talked about it on the podcast before? We have, but let's, maybe the, I, we should explain these things every episode, I think. Let's uh, do it. Yeah, talk about the Cinemar. Yeah, the Cinemar is very vital to Asians represent. <laughs> Let's hear it. Uh, Let's hear of. it um, So, yes, it, the Cinemar, I, 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 I'm lucky enough to have a spare room in my house, which I turned into a theater. Uh, it's got a seven and a half foot wide screen being projected by a projector I got off a sweet old lady who only drove it on the weekends and a 4.1 surround sound system and a subwoofer up your ass. It is amazing. It is an experience. And it's called the Cinemar. Do you have to call by name in order to attend? <laughs> yes <laughs> steve you do uh, you're okay. not invited unless you call it the cinemar <laughs> and then if you go and then you like post about it it has to be instamar you need to have a facebook and twitter hashtag but we'll figure that out yeah we'll figure it out but 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 this is this is our romance episode this is a uh, our february episode of asians represent this is this is a day when we could talk about romance, but we don't necessarily have to talk about our own romantic lives. I think it's important that we talk about romantic games because I know we talk about Starcrossed a lot, but we've actually never played it on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk. We could talk about romantic games. I really want to talk about romance in pop culture because that's something I'm super passionate about. I was actually thinking about that today. Like, I don't know why. Yeah, you are very passionate about it. I'm super passionate about it because... I don't know if y'all have seen the Fast and Furious 9 trailer. <gasps> F9? F9. Have you have you all I, seen it? I haven't seen it yet. No. Okay. I actually is, don't watch trailers. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Uh, have, do you watch Fast and Furious or is that? Oh, yeah. No. I okay, love, cool. I, I was like, is that allowed at the cinema? Yeah. No, sorry. I want to make it clear. I'm not a snob. <laughs> <laughs> just because I, I have a cinema. Just because, I'm a snob. just because I have a home cinema. Just Listen. because I named my home cinema after myself. Follow Listen, at that's cinema. Just, yeah, that's just branding, okay? It's because I'm very good at a marketing. <laughs> All right. Anyway, F9, F9. Anyway. Okay. Oh, no, so I wanted, it, like, you know, the other day, you know what I watched? Troll 2. <laughs> so, again, I am not a snob. Troll 2 is one of the worst movies ever made. It's pretty impressive. Wow. Nilbog is goblin backwards. So bad. What? I feel like the cinema, if it had any followers right now, it just doubled them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I was I was thinking about Fast and Furious 9 on how much, A, I love the fact that John Cena is in it mm-hmm. and that John Cena is playing Vin Diesel's brother, even though they look <laughs> nothing alike. I love that. But what I love most about that is that Han is back. Han is back. So, oh, I guess, yes. what, what's my, what, From what's Tokyo so funny, Drift, right? It's just, yeah. yeah. Wait, I thought he died. Okay. That's Fast and Furious, though. It just, they, I saw somebody tweet saying that the Fast and Furious characters are more superheroes than any of the Marvel characters. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say. This sounds like the bad old days of comic books. <laughs> 100%. Nobody's ever really stayed but, dead. And I know that the Asian community was like freaking out that Han's back. A, because Han was such a good character in mm-hmm. Fast and Furious. He was badass. Mm-hmm. He was stoic. Mm-hmm. His Most of his Fast and Furious stories, aside from it being, you know, Tokyo Drift being in Tokyo, were, were, had nothing to do with his him being Asian. He was just a very talented driver. Right? Oh. But I think what was most important to me about Han in the movies is that Fast and Furious and Han's character, he's one of the few Asian characters in a you know big Hollywood blockbuster. We're talking about one of the most money-making franchises in the world in history. Mm-hmm. 
his romantic interest is fucking Wonder Woman. It's Gal Gadot. <laughs> oh, right. That's Gal Gadot. So for you know, as I've forgotten that. Yeah. And this is before she was Wonder Woman. And she was also badass in these movies. Right. But and also she shared the screen with Gina Carano, aka Cara Dune from The Mandalorian. Mm. But the the thing with Han and you know his love interest in the movie was that you know this is one of the very few instances in mainland Holly uh, mainland uh, mainstream, mainstream. <laughs> sorry mainland Hollywood mainland Hollywood I mean yeah uh, mainstream Hollywood cinema where you actually saw an Asian man with a white woman. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that's very rare and mm-hmm. so i gravitate towards those things so when i when i look at you know pop culture and i see things like that i'm just like yes yeah. because i think they speak to my own experiences because my partner's white mm-hmm. uh, and and i mean i think if i recall correctly this isn't a movie that's about oh we've got so many cultural differences and how we make that work it's it was about just family like, yeah but in that movie that was just normal it was yeah like, it was just a thing yeah and there were and there was nothing you know like overtly special or they weren't ever singled out. It was just a thing mm-hmm, and it was mm-hmm. never made to be odd. Yeah. And that was so huge for me. It's like when um, Maggie and Glenn finally get together on The Walking Dead. Yeah. That like, was a I, big moment. And I knew that was going to happen in the comics, but seeing it in the comics didn't really feel super special to me. But seeing it on TV, on one of the biggest TV shows of all time, that meant a lot to me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how y'all feel about that, but that was like those two examples, Han and Glenn from The Walking Dead, are so huge in my mind, it, at least in like the romantical pairings. Mm. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm trying to think. That might have been like the most important thing I saw on TV in the last like 10 years. Like I can't think of anything else. Maggie and Glenn. Yeah, Maggie and Glenn. It was huge because, again, it was nothing that was ever questioned. It was nothing that felt, you know, out of the ordinary, even though they were surviving in a zombie apocalypse. Mm-hmm. There's another one. It's uh, in Kim's Convenience. That's another one that's really important. We, uh, do all three of you watch Kim's Convenience? No. I'm like four episodes into the season one. I have to confess, I have a hard time watching shows like that because they feel too real. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I get that. That's, that's why I'm not fully caught up. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Kim's Convenience, and this is not too big of a spoiler, Steve, sorry. Um, but Jung, who's played by Simu Liu, he, his love interest is one of his coworkers who's a white woman. Mm-hmm. And the thing about that is that she wants him. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, he's kind of oblivious to the fact that she likes him. Mm-hmm. So rather than it being an Asian man who's pining after, uh, like pining over like a, a white woman, mm-hmm. it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. And that's so groundbreaking. Yeah. Like you don't see that yeah. ever on, in, in mainstream media. Yeah, we well, you see that kind of stuff a lot more in Canadian uh, media, partly because, I mean, I don't know about you, uh, I don't know what your experience has been, and, and I'm sure there are people in Toronto who've had uh, less than great experience with this, but I find interracial relationships are so normalized in Toronto. Like, I know so many people who've done that, and it's not a big deal. Like, it's just kind of par for the course. Now, again, I'm not speaking for every single person's experience, but my experience and those of my friends has generally been very positive on that front. So when we as a society create the media and kind of represent ourselves on the screen, it seems to be a lot better than what Hollywood does. Usually. I mean, that's that's one of the reasons why we do stuff like this on Asians Represent. Mm-hmm. We have our, you know, we do masks, mm-hmm. we do D&D, we, we kind of, even though these are fantastical, 
in terms of fantasy or science fiction, we're trying to normalize Asians in media mm-hmm. and Asian experiences and Asian voices in media mm-hmm. through our, our little, little tiny pocket of the internet. Mm-hmm. But it's these movies that make things just so, so special. That's very interesting. I don't know if there's ever been something like that for me personally, to, like seeing, what is it about? I, I, I guess all of these interracial relationships are specifically asian men with white women yes is that are there other examples of interracial relationships yeah yeah there's one uh john wick keanu reeves is 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 part chinese and his wife in the movie is white Mm -hmm. Uh, also i mean i mean john wick is a completely different thing though i want to talk about no i mean like a like like pairings different asian people in relationships or like yeah uh the big sick the, yep the big sick uh the, oh yeah yeah i love that movie uh i mean so little mosque in the prairie was kind of an older show now but mm-hmm. uh that was a show that i think had uh some amount of interracial relationships uh which was interesting um and you know just like a bunch of tv shows that were made or produced in toronto for the cbc or whatever have included that just as a par for the course kind of a mm. deal so my question is, is it specifically that it's an Asian man with a white woman that is like so great or is it specific or is it more that there's a an Asian man in a relationship on screen in general that is great? For me it's an Asian man with somebody who's not Asian. It doesn't have to be white. Mm-hmm. But I mean like for me my my entire relationship history has generally always been with white women, mm-hmm. which is kind of how it's worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, but for for my sort of being blown away by Glenn or being blown away by like Jung and in Kim's Convenience, like those instances are, or like Han and Fast and Furious are so important to me because the way Asian men are portrayed in mainstream media. By Asian, do you mean East Asian? No, just Asian. Okay. Just mm-hmm. Asian men in general mm-hmm. is that they're always portrayed as lesser than white men, like, than, than white men, less desirable, mm-hmm. less um, deserving of relationships mm-hmm. with others. Yeah. Right. Asian men are always stereotyped into either the sidekick. They're either stereotyped into the person who can just fight, mm-hmm. but they, they, they fit into these tropes that either don't narratively lean them, steer them towards relationships mm-hmm. or B, put them in relationships that are, you know, abuses of power mm-hmm. or they are um, portrayed as creepy. Yeah. Right. You often see that with like, it's the Asian nerd and he's just creeping over everybody. If you look at like the Big Bang Theory, right, uh, there's one Asian character on the Big Bang Theory. He's South Asian. Mm-hmm. Right. And for the first several seasons, he's just this creepy guy who can't talk to women and he just creeps on everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, that show has its problems, mm-hmm. but the one Asian character also happens to be, you know, a caricature of how Asian men are portrayed in media. Mm-hmm. I see. I forget the character's name too in The Big Bang Theory. Uh, I've actually never seen it. Um, yeah, but it. you raise a really good. Uh, you raise a really good point, though, Agatha. Obviously, we're talking more about sort of how our feelings with this media have been seeing, rep- you know, and we're paying more attention to, the, to when we are being represented or not, or not very well anyway. Um, do you have any thoughts on, you know, representation of Asian women on media or just interracial relationships? Uh, I, I don't, I've never really thought about this. 
to mm-hmm. be honest. Like, in terms of, like, seeing... I don't think... For, I think the the kind of emotional response that you, Daniel specifically you have is mm-hmm. a lot higher than I would have. I think when it's seeing like interracial relationships portrayed on screen, it's not. I don't really feel that way as much. I think there's also a lot more on screen representation of like Asian women with white men, and it's mm-hmm. way more. And it's also like often a power imbalance, so mm-hmm. it's not really a positive representation. So. Yeah. When I see it, I'm not like, yay, because like a lot of times it's... It's like, oh, great. It's, it's pretty problematic. Uh, a, a couple of the ones that I've seen, I, c- I can't actually... Uh, so, I mean, do you want to... Uh, my understanding is that the pattern is often Asian women are fetishized and exoticized. Yeah, and then are also like, yeah, they're portrayed as like, yeah, ex- exotic or and or subservient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And th- these are just common stereotypes. And it's, so it's kind of like, yeah, I've seen it mm-hmm. and... I guess I would be more excited if it was a more empowering representation, and I can't really think of any off the top of my head right now. So, it's yeah. Like, so maybe that's why my my feeling about it is so lukewarm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, but I, you I, haven't had the same moments that Daniel's had seeing better representations of media on screen because you haven't seen them. Perhaps. Yeah, I, I I completely agree. That's very interesting. What do you think, Steve? You I don't look know. Very I'm, I'm I'm full of so many thoughts and like. When we were talking about um, like Asians on screen and things like that, I hate this example, but remember that that show? It's I think it's all on TV. Two broke girls. Oh God, that Asian character! It, it's not on show, on TV anymore, but yeah, that Asian character. I think I think that really embodies kind of like the problematic nature of like how to represent Asians Asian men on screen. Okay. So this was a this is a man who's very very short. He's purposely like casted to be shorter than everyone else on screen. Um, speaks with a very like obviously like heavy accent mm-hmm. uh is terrible to everyone just focuses on business and is completely has no sexual identity beyond a couple of like weird creepy jokes here and there mm-hmm. um which completely objectifies women and just alienates everyone around him and i think he's the only asian at least from like the episodes i've seen in the entire series he's the only asian on the main cast yeah yeah and it's just like that that kind of otherization i guess of it and then just kind of having no sexual identity, really. Mm-hmm. And just whatever there is, is just a joke, is like very common for me. If I think back to all the examples, like consuming media as like a kid, teenager, up to my adulthood. Mm, so, I see. Yeah. So when you see like going back to Glenn and Maggie, Glenn was first like a survivor. He was kind of like quirky and young and, and you know, whatever. But evolved throughout the the series just like every other of the characters fell in love they had a relationship got married and was all like on screen you got to see everything um everyone supported their relationship too which is really great we didn't have to go through like stupid storylines of like "Mm, that's interracial that's not normal Mm -hmm. in the zombie apocalypse which is great because maggie's family they were farmers yeah right And, and they didn't play into that stereotype of being very like xenophobic or anything like that like i've had i like i had a partner and we were together for a while it was a it was an abusive relationship um like really really messed me up um i'm sorry uh that's okay i'm with a way better person right now and Mm -hmm. she's wonderful and so in this partner i actually went to visit her family they live in the southern united states Mm -hmm. and i went and i actually met her dad and 
we stayed with them for a month. And I heard I was called Oriental or talked about my Oriental family mm. several times a week. Like, oh, this is, I won't say her name, so-and-so's Oriental boyfriend. Wow. Yeah. And it was, it was one of the most like backward experiences and, but they were very kind to me, mm -hmm. but in this very misguided way. Oh, so it's like, get out. Yeah. The, I, I haven't seen it, but I understand. Yeah. I mean, it, probably less terrifying. <laughs> a lot less terrifying. I mean, I'm still, I'm still here. Um, but yeah, like that, that's why seeing Glenn is so important to me. And I, I, I thought about another one too in Wu Assassins. Oh, yeah. And Wu Assassin's one of the main characters, because all the main characters are Asian, except for one. She's like a white woman. She's like a cop. Her and one of the Asian characters actually get together. Mm. And I was like, oh, damn, that happened. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Right? You, you don't get to see these things. Like, oftentimes, we, we celebrate um, ensemble Asian casts, like, mm -hmm. you know, Crazy Rich Asians, Always Be My Maybe, which I thought was the best mm -hmm. ensemble Asian cast movie it was fantastic. in a very long time. Yeah. Have you seen The Farewell? I haven't seen that one yet, but I know it'll be amazing for different reasons. Mm. Because I think Always Be My Maybe and Crazy Rich Asians are both like comedies with a serious side. And The Farewell is like a comedy, but they got like a super dark mm. side to it just because of what it's all about. Mm -hmm. Like Power to Aquafina. She's killing it. Right. But we celebrate those movies, but we don't have as many opportunities to celebrate these romantic relationships. Mm -hmm. There was that one movie that came out with, um, she played uh, Daenerys Targaryen. What's oh, her name? Amelia Clark. Amelia Clark, And she was in a movie with Henry Golding. And he was her love interest. It was a Christmas movie. It was really dumb. Mm -hmm. But they were together for a movie. And I watched it just for that. <laughs> Speaking of Christmas movies, have you seen The Christmas Prince 3? I haven't seen any. <laughs> Sorry, I haven't seen any of the Christmas Prince movies. But is the is is there an Asian Christmas Prince? The third movie or princess focuses purely on fantasy Europe, having kind of friction like history with fantasy China. Oh yeah, what? And they have like a tree that goes back very very far in the past, where like this like white clan and this like Asian clan like signed what? a treaty of like peace on Christmas Day weird what's this movie called the christmas the christmas, the christmas prince, prince three, three. <laughs> do i have to and watch I, the first and two i believe it's no. called a christmas baby no the royal baby okay i'm so sorry but they have an asian tree no treaty treaty yeah there's a treaty oh, was like it's like it's treaty. like in it's like oh the christmas ginkgo tree yeah no it's like it's an own arc it's and Bruce, like but that. and it really focuses on just like there's like tension between these two royal families and what i liked about it besides being a great christmas movie uh i love christmas movies um <laughs> oh it's got rose mciver from yeah. uh from uh, i zombie they the asian families portrayed equally as powerful equally as capable equally mm -hmm. as competent mm -hmm. as any of their like european counterparts mm -hmm. which is actually kind of refreshing now there's no like interracial romance there the romances are set because it's the third movie uh, I don't have time to get into all the backstory. <laughs> uh, please do. <laughs> of the Christmas Prince. Uh, I know what we're doing for this year's Christmas special. We're going to do the Christmas Prince Asians Represent Edition. You don't know what you opened up because there's an extended Netflix Christmas universe and it goes deep, man. What? Can we do it? Can we do it? Well, let's do an episode. Let's do a bonus episode on this in the future. Yeah. What? It's deep. It, we're it, just going to do a it, deep dive. It, do you have another two hours? You know what we could do? We'll watch this at the cinema. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. 
We should. Get ready. Yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. Oh, my God. I think, yeah, so I think what I was saying was that, again, we have, we're getting better with representation in mm-hmm. that, you know, we have this this family that's royal, um, very, like, distinguished, uh, cares and very, very well. No real romance that they want to show. There yeah. is an interracial romance, now that I'm thinking about it, in uh, the movie, but it's it's side characters and no one really cares. You know what, what other... Um... Netflix thing had an interracial Asian uh, romance, High School Musical, the musical, the series. What are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> I watched. I, I didn't watch it. I watched it all. Um, I love High School Musical. Yeah. yeah why are you ashamed of this? I'm like, not. High I know School Musical is like a very popular. I love musicals. You know, I know all the words to "Love Is an Open Door," both parts from Frozen. <laughs> it's my karaoke song. Sorry, I've never watched Frozen. Oh, Frozen's great. Uh, but anyways, in high school, so high school musical, the musical, the series is about a group of teenagers who are at the high school where high school musical was filmed and their drama teacher was an extra in the high school musical movies. And she wants to stage a musical production of high school musical. What? What? Yeah. How is this? It sounds like a fanfic. It, it does it sound a like a series. fanfic. And it's, an, it's actually like a really good show. What? And they announced season two, except they're going to put on. Sleeping Beauty, the musical, the musical, the series, or something like that. <laughs> but in the, the main character, she she gets cast as Gabriella, who was Vanessa Hudgens' character in the yes. original trilogy. Yes. And she's part Asian. Mm-hmm. And she's just like this really she's the best character in the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, way to go. Way to have like an Asian main character in a Disney show like that. And there's like nothing about her other than like her one of her moms is Asian. And mm. I was like, this is, this is great. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I was just like kind of blown away by, you know, how much, how, how more frequent we are, we're actually seeing Asians being portrayed in media, mm-hmm. not just in positive romantic relationships or stereotype breaking romantic relationships, but also in just like leading roles mm-hmm. that have nothing to do with Asian culture. Yeah. Right. Because Asian characters can't, or just like Asians in general don't interact with Asian culture the same way as, you know, people in China. Mm-hmm. Like Chinese Canadians have that a very different experience. Mm-hmm. It's like Kim's convenience. It feels too real yeah. because it's many, many of us, it's many of our experiences, mm-hmm. right? Korean culture doesn't really factor into a lot of what the kids do in Kim's convenience, but it does for the parents. Yeah. And they portray that, uh, the tension really, really well. Really, really, to the point where it makes it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I saw the first few episodes where I was like, "Too real, <laughs> too real." I'm done. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. really good. Um, Super good. Yeah. Uh, so maybe uh, we we've been discussing for a few weeks about this episode. We've been talking about the pictures that recently dropped of Kumail and Johnny uh, ripped, like I think every uh, Marvel superhero uh, protagonist has to be. Yeah, let me just look at it for research purposes. For <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, and I really Favorites. really like uh, him and the work he's doing. Um, I think that it, sort of the representation that he brings to fairly mainstream Hollywood at this point uh, is really incredible. Not just because he's a man of South Asian descent on screen and on big screens now, but like also because. Uh, and he's going to be in Marvel, which, you know, has, you know, th- their movie box offices rival certain countries. And uh, 
beyond just that, what I really like about that picture, if uh, the the if you yeah, I would not have noticed if you hadn't pointed it out. Yeah, it's uh, if you look up the picture, if you Google uh, Kumail Nanjiani ripped, I guess. And there goes your <laughs> search uh, history. Uh, you will notice that he's actually not uh, uh, clean shaven on his chest. Like he hasn't been waxed, which is what usually uh, male mm, sort of leading male protagonists are, is they're hairless. And I really appreciate that he's kind of kept the hair, but it's not, you know, a large amount of hair to kind of indicate his like exoticness or anything. He just <laughs> has hair. Just, that, pretty that's cool. just the way he is. Yeah. You know what's I also, I don't know if you knew this, but. Um, so he actually posted about this on his Instagram too, yeah. wow. is that uh, Pornhub actually changed the picture for the muscular man category to him. Whoa. <laughs> no. <laughs> Look, I, I'm sure they changed it back, but he screenshotted it and shared it. That's hilarious. Also, what was he doing on Pornhub? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're perfectly human Perfectly human things. things. They're yeah. paying him. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if they were even paying him to. to oh, they just stole for his... that. They just stole his image and made that <laughs> the muscular man category. That's that's almost better. That's almost funnier. That's almost yeah. way funnier, and I'm sure he didn't complain because mm-hmm. like that's huge for <laughs> muscular man, huh? Yeah. yeah. Um, but like for Asians, that's really big. You know who is also really um, done well as being an Asian in Hollywood? Mm. Dave Bautista. Mm-hmm. Yes, Dave yeah. Bautista. I mean, being like a huge wrestling star. Mm-hmm. Like when you think of Asians, you don't think of WWE. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know much about professional wrestling. Me neither. All I know is that I like him as Drax. Yeah, but like he's also like a big Asian star mm-hmm. in Marvel movies. Yeah, like isn't that isn't that crazy now? Yeah, I mean I, I'm mixed about it because Drax is not an Asian character. That's I true. Say, right. And then you also have Drax, Dave Bautista, next to Mantis, who is written. How does how does the human body have that many muscles? Sorry, so I just I pulled up a picture of Dave Bautista that he posted on his uh, on his Instagram. Did you know he also fought in an MMA fight and but, won? And he won. Oh. Yeah, like a real MMA fight. Wow. Yeah, that's that's yeah. intense stuff. Yeah. That's I've like, heard wrestlers tend to do well in UFC. Yeah, but he but he was like like a stage wrestler, right? Yeah. Because the other high-profile wrestler who went into the UFC was CM Punk, and he got demolished. Mm. Yeah. But anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you with oh, that photo. yeah. So, I mean, in that same movie, Guardians 2 with Mantis, yeah. Mantis is played by an Asian woman. Yep. And also just written in a very strange way mm. that made me feel very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I got too many of, like, this weird, subservient yeah. Asian... Very, especially in the way she spoke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, like, no other aliens speak in, like, this weird kind of gentle i'm going to use exotic i arguably but this this weird cadence and things like that mm-hmm. taking care of kurt russell it was yeah, weird it was very weird and she like like he needs her he needs her character to like fall asleep I'm like this is making me feel kind of like uncomfortable mm-hmm. there's like in in canon like in world reasons why mm-hmm. but just watching this asian woman put this white man to sleep and mm-hmm. that's the only way he can like rest and be relaxed mm-hmm. It's also like that the character. Didn't that character didn't have to be played by an Asian woman as well. That mm-hmm. is very true as well. It's like it's like when Marvel put out Iron Fist, and they were like, oh, "Well, Iron Fist in the comics is white, so in the TV show he has to be white." Mm-hmm. I can guarantee you, if they had made Iron Fist, they if they cast an Asian actor as Iron Fist, people would have loved that show. Mm. 
I know I would have watched it. I think there would have been very interesting controversy that would have done well for their viewership if they did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, like, even if they if they made if they made him like an Asian American character, so Mm -hmm. he's not like uh, he's literally an Asian American billionaire, millionaire or whatever, Mm -hmm. who, you know, has these skills and these powers, but his experiences aren't that of. Uh, an immigrant maybe they're being like the son or daughter of of immigrants mm-hmm. and their asian american experience would have made for like a really cool tv show it yeah. would have yeah because that superhero antics we know that there would be action we know that it's going to be awesome mm-hmm. but then the out of costume stuff would be very very interesting for a marvel show mm-hmm. i would have watched it yeah right marvel come on <laughs> but it's too late now disney took your, all those IP there's your back. white yep. main character with the asian romance interest iron fist does he have a? This is yeah. So what was her name Wing? I think her name. Oh, was the Wing. other martial artist. Yeah. So mm-hmm. she 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 like is Japanese, and he is from Kunlun. Uh, this yeah. is me. This is me like making a jerk off motion. <laughs> uh, um, but like she teaches him like her style of martial arts, which is just a sword, whereas his is a fist. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I guess that's Japanese martial arts. There mm-hmm. you go. Of course. Yeah. I mean, there is that narrative where like. The white character, and this is the common one, where the white characters just benefit from having the Asian characters as tertiary characters in, mm-hmm. in their narrative. It's like Doctor Strange going to Asia and yeah. learning magic from a white person in Asia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That great. Who should have been an Asian character. Mm-hmm. It's like, do we need that? Mm-hmm. Do we need more of that? Y- yeah. I mean, yeah. So that's why I feel kind of like, meh, meh. Yeah. So yeah. Another it sounds example. like you are much, uh, you, you are significantly underwhelmed by the state of sort of Asian representation in media than even we are. No, I don't think so. I think there's, there's just in the past two years specifically, there's been a lot in, of like films that we already talked about on this podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so many. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that are really hitting like mainstream Western audiences mm-hmm. that I think is is great so yeah but i don't specifically about relationships i don't know if there's anything that interesting for me yeah i mean your your perspective is different from our perspective and all four of us have unique perspectives on Mm -hmm. that that inform our excitement over this Mm -hmm. i'm just trying to think like you know that that other sherlock holmes show that's not yeah with lucy Liu. Yeah, yeah elementary yeah doesn't she she's also like she, her She's Watson. Yeah, her character gets into a relationship with someone, <laughs> but not... I think it's another woman. Yeah, like, I, I think... I sh- I, I've never watched that I think show. it was a... Yeah, I, I watched, like, the first episode. It was pretty good. Yeah, um, I've heard that. Um, so you, you brought this up, Daniel. Um, sort of people in China, people in sort of the various Asian countries have a different relationship to the media they themselves create. Um, and it got me thinking about uh, Bollywood and actually about uh, the representation of interracial relationships in Bollywood movies. Yeah. And and sort of just generally sort of South Asian culture. And it feels like a lot of the time, like white women are shown to be prizes to be won, while at the same time there's this ambivalence about them kind of being representative of the former colonial masters, uh, which uh, is is always kind of weird and challenging to me um, as somebody who's dated uh, white women as well in the past. Uh, that um, they, I mean, you know, they're just 
people, but they kind of end up playing this other symbols, symbols as yeah. this trophy to be won, to be shown like, oh, I'm so, uh, I may be brown, but I'm so impressive. I can transcend that racial boundary yeah. and specifically get together with the former colonial master. basically, Or, or be in that position, uh, be in, in, uh, in that equal position of power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting because actually last time we, we were talking, this wasn't on the podcast. I mentioned that show Outsourced, mm-hmm. which was based on a movie. Have you ever I watched seen it that? Yet. No. So Outsourced, it was a movie, and then NBC made a 24-episode sitcom about based on it. And it's about this uh, white man from Kansas, and he actually works for a company that makes um, like practical jokes that you can order from like like a call center. <laughs> and his entire call center unit in Kansas gets outsourced to India. And he sent to India to be the manager mm-hmm. of the call center. And so, of course, he learns about Indian culture and then he meets like a woman there who works for him and they fall in love. Mm-hmm. Um, but the show has some, there are some really cool things about it and some really bad things about it. The cool things about it were that it exposed a lot of uh, people to South Asian cultural traditions mm-hmm. that like you might not have even heard of, mm-hmm. which is really awesome. The bad part about it was his love interest is uh, they picked an actress who and then they dressed her in more Western style clothing. Mm-hmm. And she actually speaks with a British accent or like you could tell she's a British actress who's putting on an Indian accent. Yeah. Whereas all of the other female cast members are like caricatures mm-hmm. and the male cast members are also either characters based on like the conniving assistant manager who wants to take his job. Mm hmm. Um, or, you know, the, the one character who he works for the call center and all he does is he hits on American woman because he wants, he wants an American woman. Yep. And yeah, the show had so many problems. And so that, that reminds me of it. Yeah. It reminds me of how, um, they kind of try to mirror these historical power dynamics. Yeah. Maybe unintentionally. Yeah. These shows to kind of get viewers. Yeah. It's a little tone deaf. A little, just a little. If you're curious, just go on YouTube and look up the trailer for Outsourced, the, the movie and the TV show. But the TV show's got, I would say, the most exaggerated mm-hmm. stereotypes mm-hmm. because they had to stretch it out. Yeah. It's like up who levels of exaggeratedness. Honestly, yeah. There's like a joke where in, in, I think in like the first or second episode when he's meeting his staff and one of them introduces himself. He's like, my, my name's my meat. And he's like, man meat. And they, they have that man right. meat joke over and over again in that yeah. episode. And I'm just like, come on. Yeah. This is like low hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. And they go for it because they, they want those quick, quick laughs from yeah. the American the, audience yeah, at the expense that, of these Asian characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. That, that when we started talking about, you know, South Asian media, that, yeah. that immediately was. Yeah. Because it's, yeah, it, it's sort of a show nominally set in India. Uh, but it sort of continues to replay out the stereotypes that Americans have, yes, which is uh, disappointing. Exactly. exactly. So like we we've kind of talked about our um, the things we loved, some of the things we a lot of the things we didn't love. Um, now I kind of want to talk about like games, mm-hmm. games that kind of you know that can help us you know demonstrate more positive relationships or bring about the things that we want to see in media. Like what what are some games that you think? Have have these elements or are capable of these? Like obviously, like Starcrossed is, yes. is one. So of them. tell me more about Starcrossed because we keep talking about it and I have no idea what it is. Really? Oh, Agatha, I, do have, you wanna... I have like a very like baseline 
level of knowledge about it. Like it's two people play, mm-hmm. um, and they smooch. <laughs> that's that's my understanding of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, it, two people do play, and <laughs> so I'm half right. And I think that you could, if you want to, if you both give consent to that. Uh, so it's basically it's a variation. It started off as a variation of the Jenga, not Jenga. You know, like the Dread. Dread. No. Yes, yes. the The wooden tower based game Dread, which st- oh, we can say Jenga. We can. Well, we can. We didn't write the game. We didn't write the game. But <laughs> so we, can. We, were, we weren't using a trademarked thing in a pub uh, in a published piece. Oh, I see. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's a so Dread is a horror game where you used uh, you use a Jenga tower to kind of every time you're making a move, you would pull from it. So it the Jenga tower is basically the mechanic that adds attention to the game. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Starcross uses the same mechanic where you use a Jenga tower as well, and that tension uh, is what what kind of feels the the the, the feels in this game uh, and it actually started off being called tension that was its name before mm-hmm. they changed yeah. it for I don't know, whatever reason I think reason. there were I think there were trademark or copyright reasons for for it yeah or, that's or fair. it's just too generic no like, like I, it's, a, it's a word I think I think there was a reason because like it was going as tension and then all of a sudden the Kickstarter came it was Starcross yeah that's mm-hmm. true so whatever reason it's fine yeah. but anyway uh so it's basically in this game you're playing as two characters who are very drawn to each other but for some reason are being kept apart which is why it's called star-crossed and then every time uh your character wants to do specific actions that you would pull from the block um and if you want to talk you're in character to each other you also have to touch the block so that really when it gets to late game that really ramps up the the, the feeling of wait you have to touch the block like you, if you to touch I, the tower like if you and i were playing we both have to like touch the tower in order to talk to each other yes yes that's intense yeah it's super intense i i i pulled down the tower once while playing because i was so into it and i was i had to touch it and i just pulled it down oh, yeah no. and when the tower falls that means that uh, whoever made it fall their character is the one who kind of brought the their feelings into the open they and, gave into their feelings. Yeah, and then that ends the game, and then you, depending on there's like a point system, you see how how your relationship pans out. There's a point system. Yeah, because you track things. Yeah, you basically track based on how many blocks you've pulled. So the okay. more blocks you've pulled, the better, uh, I guess the consequences are. But at the same time, if you pull a lot of blocks, then it falls sooner. So it's kind of like a. Is it is Math it like game. it's so it's gemless like you get I guess soon there's like a deck of scenarios or something like yes. that yes yeah like yeah. we could play it with you and Ken and have Ning and the Empress yeah oh, my palms are already sweaty I'm like <laughs> uh, Starcross is great uh, I, I'm also thinking of um, Emily Carabas's, uh the, the Romance, Romance trilogy. trilogy it's uh, so I feel like. She was the person that really started, like, she wrote the first romance games, and this was, I don't remember when it was pub- first published. but I it, actually have it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's um, it's really cool. It I think that was one of the first games that introduced other elements to, like, very traditional D&D-esque kind of, like, gameplay. 
where you can have romance in games and the romance is mechanized like sorry not mechanized like it's there are mechanics that do this yeah because like when when we did our our very very romantic episode there was literally no dice rolling right uh and i think it so this is kind of like it's pretty groundbreaking for what it does and it's there's basically three games where you can do different romantic scenarios and uh it's super fun i i played two of the the games in there i played shoot the moon and um there was another one under my skin breaking the ice um i let's see i think it was maybe Hmm. You know, I've had that book for so long, and I haven't played any games on it yet. Oh, Let's I think it it's happen. under my skin. I, I, it was. We should. We have to do that, Daniel. Yeah, you and me. Yeah, let's do it. Have you seen? Look at this. Mm-hmm. So, this, this, so, so shooting the moon is fun because it's specifically for three players, where it's you have two people would play the suitors, and then one person would play the beloved. I think it was the name of it. I don't remember the exact terminology, but so you're there and there's like a lot of mechanics that are around like how, like how you're trying to win favors with each other and for the suitors. And then for the beloved, you're trying to like, you have your own goals that you're trying to achieve as well. And it's, it's super cool. Mm-hmm. This is like expanding my brain so much because I come from a background of just like basically just Dungeons and Dragons. Like mm-hmm. that's the tabletop game that I played mm-hmm. and there is no system to like try to capture the idea of like relations between people. Yeah. The closest you got was like hirelings. You paid them money every day and they did stuff for you. Or they're super problematic like in uh, like in Pathfinder or third edition and you're a bard. Or like the new love domain. They yeah. came out on Earth Arcana. It was taken down because it was so problematic. What? Yeah. What is this? A lot, every time they've tried to do romance or, or love or anything like that in D&D, um, the boundaries between the person enacting these powers and then the receiver are always unequal. Right. Well, there's, there's no system for it. There's no way to abstract the idea of like people coming closer together emotionally mm-hmm. so all you're left with is like these combat mechanics so love is no longer like people like becoming closer love is about basically control right, right. So, getting a high dice roll yeah. yeah so the love domain is basically just manipulating and controlling yeah. and it's like and it'd be one thing if the domain was about manipulation to control mm-hmm. but it's under the guise of like you worship love as this like you know religious person mm-hmm. um and what that grants you is the ability to manipulate the emotions of other people. Ooh. That's terrible. Yeah, that that's 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 one of the faults I wouldn't say faults, flaws of the D of D and D as a game. It's so hard because that game is all about systematizing interaction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't handle romance well when it comes to dice rolling. Obviously you could do romance well at the table. But you're just not engaging with the D and D system. Yeah. Well, so uh, let me let me ask: Is there a system that you can kit bash in for those romantic tension moments? You know, maybe from one of the games we just talked about. Like, you could literally just keep a Jenga tower at the center. Right. Well, I think this is a very interesting question because it Thank depends. You. I'm very smart. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes, you are. These glasses aren't just for show. Uh, it's because I'm blind as well. I I understand as a fellow glasses wear. Um. So, I I think th- the question is. Uh, what would you want to achieve with those mechanics, right? Like, why why do you want to have mechanics for romance to start with? Uh, I mean, you can always just 
do it like role playing like we did with uh, the episode with Kiana and and, uh, and Ning. So you can always do that, but um, you kind of need to have that tension of uncertainty, I suppose, right? Mm. Um, the, so you can always just role play it, but the way that Starcross it sounds like gives that sense of oh, is this going to work out? Is this not going to work out? And builds that tension, yeah, that moment of uh, uh, to quote something from uh, Robin D. Laws, uh, you know, that moment of the die roll is the moment when you are poised between hope and fear and you know there's a hope that maybe the die roll will come out your way and the fear that it might not and that kind of adds to the dramatic tension of the game i think it's one of the reasons why um tabletop role playing games is, is uh, gaming is so um interesting is so engaging right um so i would like to see a system that is general enough to be able to get bashed into other systems or at least just be invoked in the moments when you're doing more of that RPing kind of stuff. Yeah, I think in that case, then though the the system that is the most kind of like setting agnostic would be Starcrossed mm-hmm. because well, yeah, like sure. like Daniel, you've talked multiple times about having Kiana on to have this Starcrossed session, right? With with Steve, and I think yeah. that that is the one because or just between Amar and I, <laughs> or or just between you two as well, and because I think in other romance games they seem to be a lot more um in general all the romance games that i can think of which basically are the romance trilogy and starcross i don't know if there are other ones there's a lot of two-player games like uh like there's that one it's like some oh a hundred and something days 146 days Uh, or something like that i don't i don't remember i honestly can't think of any that are like straight up romance games well well, there's there's a game that's about a couple that's in a relationship but anyway there are board games there are definitely board games but we're talking about rpgs sorry right and oh i remember this now i think yeah but i think all of these games are very self-contained in that they their goals are so specific Mm -hmm. right like you the the goals for example in shoot the moon is you have two suitors Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you have one beloved and one of them wins actually in the end, uh, depending, you know, like how it could be one of the suitors. It could also be the beloved. And and that's based on like dice and mechanics and points and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so that is telling that story. Yeah. That's Um, a game. It's not a system you can extract out of that. Yes. And I think most games, like also just games that have mechanics for romance, for example, like monster hearts, I Mm -hmm. feel like, Yep. It 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 does have elements that engage in that. And mm-hmm. then also I don't know if we're talking about romance specifically or are we talking about sex because there for example a, like the Apocalypse World mm-hmm. game has sex moves. I think they changed the name to something else. Yeah, and then to there's special there's moves like, or something. There's sexual content in other RPGs like The Book of Wild Darkness from D&D, but mm-hmm. that's just like not good stuff. Um, it's the only D&D book I know that has parental advisory on it. Oh. Oh, yeah. Right. So I I think, but in those, it's like all apocalypse world games. I feel like their mechanics are just so integral to the really are, apocalypse yeah. world engine that mm-hmm. it would be hard to remove that and to put that into any other. So let's try it. The, the way the let's way I kind of the way I kind of see it is like Agatha. On one side, you said like games that are like strictly romance games the the romance is the central part of what you are doing at the table. Yes. Mm-hmm. Whereas in D&D the romance may be a central part of it or it may just like never come up whatsoever. Mm-hmm. The thing that makes it really in my opinion that makes it really difficult for D&D and Steve I, I have a, f- a strong feeling you'd agree with me is that correct me if I'm wrong though uh, is that 
the reason why you know people look for rules to these things in D&D or expect there to be rules or maybe it's just not included is because when people get into role playing games oftentimes they don't have any experience role playing mm-hmm. so D&D offers that buffer that cushion mm-hmm. and that that's the rules mm-hmm. on how to do things when you want to do something you roll the dice right whereas if you're a seasoned role player like everybody at this table we could say we're playing D&D because we're using our D&D characters mm-hmm. But during the the Ning and Joe Shaw episode, we weren't really playing D anD D. We were just acting. Did we roll at all? Not not not, not, once. not, not once. Yeah, that was right. Pure improv, and it was just pure improv. But we weren't really playing D anD D at all. Mm-hmm. Like we weren't even looking at our character sheets, mm-hmm. right? But that's why it's always absent or hard to use in D anD D. Because anything that you'll put into D&D has to have some sort of rule behind it. There mm-hmm. has to be that structure because D&D is the most accessible, mm-hmm. right? Starcrossed is very easy to learn mm-hmm. and it doesn't require a lot to play, mm-hmm. but it requires a certain comfort level between you and a player. Yeah, It requires a certain comfort in how in your ability to talk and articulate these things mm-hmm. right. to another person, even if That's you know true. them, right? Yeah. So in a way, they are not, they are accessible to play, but they are not accessible to a vast audience like D&D is. Yeah. That's because D&D is so generic and rules-driven. Mm-hmm. And it's fundamentally a combat game. It's, it's, yeah, it's a war game. Yeah. It's, a, it's a war game, especially the earlier editions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I I hear what you're saying and I agree, but I actually see it from like the other side of that coin yeah. where the numbers and all like the fun mathy math stuff that's on my sheet. Um, if I was like a new to role playing, it would definitely help me. But I think as time goes on and I don't need it to, to, to facilitate kind of my role play, it kind of gives me nice constraints, like bounds to play within, Yeah, push them if I want to stay within them, if that's like more comfortable for the scene and what have you. And in that respect, I think there could absolutely be a D&D mechanic for the abstraction of relationships. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would love if they had some sort of scaling mechanics. So, you know, like Emberwind by Derek Chung. We had Derek on the show. Mm-hmm. Emberwind can actually be played from a variety of play styles and levels. There's like you could play Emberwind and engage in every single mechanic in the game. Or you could play Emberwind and just use some of the most fundamental basic mechanics and you could have people playing using different levels of the rule set at the same table Ooh, that's what's super cool about emberwind mm-hmm. shout out to emberwind that's really interesting yeah and i want us to play it but it it there are maps involved and things like that mm-hmm. and it's very tactical and i'd like us to do that if we're going to do video mm, right right but that would be interesting if i mean that's that basically reminds me of what you were talking about with your D character sheet yeah these numbers and rules guide you at the beginning when you don't know a lot but then as you become more comfortable with not D, but with role playing then they just become uh, a box a very loose box in which and within which you work mm-hmm. i think it's very interesting what you said about how we're what you'll, you both of you were talking about in terms of how D is more accessible because it is more rules focused and more mechanics focused um, and it, what I'm hearing is that there is, it's easier to have more emotional distance from the the role playing. Is that is that right? Uh, no, not necessarily. I think we also have to take into account that people 
like I would also say that as somebody who works with neurodiverse people, um, D and D is very accessible because it has rules and rules provide structure. And it's it's not that you know it's meant to be played one way, but it's that the rules make it easy to comprehend. Sorry, Marsh is pouring out some lagavulin. And... Yeah, why don't we? Um, what we no, that's okay. Don't worry. No, no, don't, don't worry. Just make it a part of it. This is our romantic episode. We literally have candles at the center of the table, and Amar is uh, pouring out a drink. It's all good. I think the audio is actually kind of nice. Um, but I, I think you know having these rules makes it accessible um, because it allows people to. I love how you poured it right next to the mic. Well, the audio makes it nice. Yeah, it's it? true. <laughs> um, but I think it makes it accessible because people have a guideline from which they're like, okay, this is how it's meant to be played. That's and then fair. as you become more proficient in the system, you're like, now this is how I want to play it. Right. And I can use these rules if I want. But if you kind of go into a game and have no rules, it's just like, hey, free form. Fewer people, I mean, there, there's this barrier to entry and that barrier is like, well, like, I don't know what to do. So I'm just not going to even try because I might be doing it wrong. Yeah, right. it's paralyzing. It's paralyzing. The choice, the decision. Yep. It, it's captured really well in that community episode where they play D&D for the first time. Yeah. Where, they, where they're like, okay, um, Jeff, what do you do? And he goes, uh, what are my options? And the, DM, and the DM goes, whatever you want. And that's not helpful for the, the, the character, right. the person. Yeah. yeah, I I do think it's kind of interesting, though, because I think there's... A, people engage um i guess with games in different ways mm -hmm. and people gravitate towards different mechanics in different ways as well this is yeah. all like water is wet but i i think for some people a, a a game with less mechanics and more i guess uh freedom is would be more accessible but i think um, I, in, but I think that audience is often not aimed at for the gaming community. I think if that was the case, Dungeon World would be a lot more popular. I don't know if that's true because I'm thinking like, for example. What would you think would be an example of this kind of game? I think, for example, a lot of teenage girls, and this is, I'm definitely heavily stereotyping, but I think a lot of teenage girls would engage like very well with this kind of a game because... Well, anyway, like, you know, if we're talking about uh, developmental uh, psychology, like, you know, they they care about romance from an earlier age. And then, like, just I, I think especially if you get to role play out these kind of like fanficy um, uh, scenarios, I think they would love that. Like, I would have loved Starcrossed when I was younger to, yeah. to play with like my friends who I've written, yeah, <laughs> co-written no, fan sure. fiction with. Oh, I, I used yeah. to. I there so, was a time when Teenage Daniel wrote Harry Potter fan fiction. Yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and there are also other people who. I mean, if we're going to talk about like like teenage girls, I don't know if you folks know about Ethan Schoonover. Do you know who he is, Mister E? So Ethan Schoonover, he is a teacher in Seattle, and he actually it's uh, it's it's Ethan, and then Schoon is uh, S C H O O N O V E R. Like a schooner. Yeah, Schoonover. Uh, we we got to ha I got to hang out with his family at uh, Gen Con, and uh, he actually runs a an after school. He's a teacher, 
and he runs an after-school club for girls, and they run D&D 5th Edition. Oh, that's awesome. like a summer camp, a Geek and Sundry covered it. He's a super, super nice guy. Um, And they just create a safe space for for teens to play D&D. But interact with D&D worlds, interact with D&D's rules, but with the themes that they are interested in. And it's it's super it's super cool, um, but like I get the point you're you're, you're making and like, um, so I think <laughs> if what what I'm positing is true, that I don't think Dungeon World would be more popular. I yeah. think <laughs> Monster Hearts <laughs> might be, but it's not a war game. Well, it's not a war game. <laughs> but it's not a war game. Well, that, that's why I no, think like I not. mean, even if you look at it, like Fifth Edition is arguably the most popular edition of D and D. Yeah. Right. Like, and it's because it's the most streamlined. It's the most rules light. Right. And I know it's like there are way more rules than most of the games that I think you've played, Agatha, because, you know, we ran into that where you were looking for the narrative triggers to do things. And we were like, no, no, you can do anything. Right. Because the, the thinking is different. The way you approach the game is different. Yeah. But I mean, now, I, like, I did play Pathfinder, but that's <laughs> anyway. That one's just all like spreadsheets, unless we, we were going to Shadowrun. Um, but like, if you think about it, like so many people, at least in my life, who I never thought would be into RPGs would be like, yeah, I have a D&D group we regularly play. Mm-hmm. I was like, what the fuck? This is awesome. That's amazing. Right. But be- because I think it's, it's accessible, but also has structure. And I think people who are new to games, that's why board games are so popular because they have, they're a structured experience mm-hmm. that give you agency within its structure yeah D is very similar it just gives you far more agency and that structure is entirely optional mm-hmm. and, I, and i think that's why fifth edition is just so popular mm-hmm. a because there's a lot of mainstream exposure to like people who you wouldn't think play D or playing D, like joe manganello and vin diesel and vin diesel and uh stephen colbert right yeah 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 well he i can he i can believe yeah, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's into token. I feel like he's already into D and D, right? He's but, half a D and D player already. Yeah, like uh, Vince Vaughn. Mm, yeah, super mm-hmm, into D and D. But it's like I think it's a it's a bit of like this mainstream shift mm-hmm. in what how people perceive D and D, but yeah. also the accessibility of it. Oh, definitely. And its rule yeah. set and the materials. Yeah, I, and I mean, I think you know, t- tabletop role playing games are just a completely different medium. Uh, you know, they're they're nothing like movies. They're not quite uh, like any other form of art or medium I've ever come across. Uh, as a, as the infamous Anderson Todd likes to point out, uh, it's perhaps the only medium up, aside from improv music where uh, the creators are also the audience. Right. And it has this uh, function of integrating the two that you don't get. You know, if I make a movie, the people who are going to watch the movie are not necessarily the people who made the movie yes and as somebody who's made a few movies you come to hate the movie that you made you rarely enjoy it nearly as much as the people who actually uh will watch it but uh D and uh, tabletop role-playing games in general it's just so different from anything else so it totally makes sense to me that it's getting that cultural place that it should because it's so unique and i i because you know it's getting more prevalent and things like that i think it's definitely part of the reason why it's accessible because there's like what I'll call social weight mm-hmm. around it now. Mm-hmm. People can like very easily pick up a YouTube video and just like watch it and engage with it mm-hmm. in whatever respect they want. That's why Critical Role so huge. Exactly. It gave people a way to like engage with the the hobby in a way that, you know, really appealed to them, mm-hmm. which is great. Yeah. Um, but because the game doesn't 
because you enter the game and the game is like, here are all the rules for how to kill people with violence. Yeah. Um, the game becomes a game about killing people with violence mm-hmm. and without any kind of system, as, as loosely as that term can be, um, about relationships. The mm-hmm. game really isn't about relationships at all. Mm-hmm. And if anyone adds anything about relationships, it's purely on those creators, mm-hmm. um, which is, in my opinion, kind of a gap in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so do you think that D- games like D&D should have uh, mechanics for, for, I guess, romance or, I guess, relationships? I think, I think the idea of relationship. I think if there was a mechanic for relationships, then it would prompt players and creators, like GMs, to think about how relationships affect the characters. Mm-hmm. I think it's very easy, if you're new to the medium, to read the rules, look at the character sheet, and decide, great, what we're going to do is we're going to go into a dungeon, kill all the monsters, and take all their stuff. Right, but that is what D&D started off as. Started Mo- off as, but it doesn't like, need that's, to that's be That's what that. their goal has been. So that's, that's I, I the basis, right? I wouldn't for... say now. That is not the goal now. I mean, even if you look at the, the rift that formed between Gary Gygax and David Arneson, mm-hmm. Gygax was like all about the rules, and Arneson was all about like, and this is like these are like very broad generalizations. <laughs> Arneson was like all about like the story that that was those relationships, and over time they became about these dungeons, the Tomb of Horror, which is oh, so overrated. <laughs> which one is the Tomb of Horror? It's the meat grinder one. It's, it's the, the infamous meat grinder. Meat grinder. It's basically mm-hmm. the the dungeon that says. I'm better than you from the GM's perspective. Oh, I see. Yeah, I, I hate it. So, I, I kind of love it, but I love it for bad reasons. So another game that kind of, um, that has a system and mechanics for relationships, um, whether romantic or not, is um, Saga of the Icelanders. Yeah, PPTA game. Yeah, and that game is super interesting because it's the only game that I've encountered so far. It's that game focuses a lot on gender and gender expectations and gender dynamics. Uh, so if you play a man versus if you play a woman, you have different uh, moves that you can do huh. um, because that's so their classes. Yeah, I guess like gender is in real life. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. like it's really. Well, this is about the like the the Norse. Yeah, mm. and the historical Norse and the hardships, like mm-hmm. the agricultural, Norse. like the mythical Norse or the actual, no, historical, the actual historical uh, Norse. Yeah, because they're really interesting. Yeah, it it is really interesting, and it's really about exploring like the kind of culture, uh, societal expectations towards gender, and specifically all in moves. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the only game that I've ever come across where <laughs> one of the moves uh, that you can do is get pregnant. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and and I think Excuse me? Yeah. Like <laughs> you can roll, roll 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 to get pregnant. And I think that's like I don't remember if that was in a specific playbook or if it one? was Sorry. Hmm? Sorry? Uh, I was going to make a crack about how you have a one in three chance every time, but anyway. Follow. <laughs> um I don't remember if it was playbook specific uh, or like character class specific, I guess, if I want to be more general with the wording, or if it was just like gender based. But it was, speaking of representation, that was super cool for me because uh, getting pregnant is a huge part (laughs) of the female experience. But I've never come across that in a game, Mm -hmm. specifically as a mechanic, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And, And like there are different mechanical ramifications for uh for getting pregnant and like having a kid at which is pretty 
pretty common, right? Like yeah, historically, yeah. Yeah, like totally. being pregnant for a woman means a lot of things, like in terms of like your social status mm -hmm. and your your like financial um, future is like very important. So I think that part is super cool to have existed in a game, and that was one of the like one of the times where I was like, oh wow, I this is really. I mean, I have never uh, been pregnant before, but I, I was like, this is really something that uh, this is an experience that is a huge part of my identity, just being a woman um, that I can see in a game. And I think that was really cool. But I also think that kind of mechanic can only really exist in a game like Saga of the Icelanders. Like, I don't think mm -hmm. that's a, something that you can bring over to D&D. &D. <laughs> uh, not 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 in like the standard rules because yeah. again like not everybody who experiences that or who wants to deal with that sort of material is going to be playing D D. yes and i i just think that like every game has like their game goals and yeah, while while you're you're right in that D D has evolved a lot over the years and it's not what it used to be, you know. In the it's, it's core mechanic is you go out, you kill things, you find stuff, and you yeah. get better. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and the core activity. Yeah, it's the core activity. And the so, so the mechanics enforce, like Steve, you said, they enforce the the actions, and then the actions also are are kind of like um, they they remind you of the mechanics, right? And I think that's what D and D is about. And of course, you can play it in any way that you want, but I don't know if it necessarily needs or if it should have um mechanics for interpersonal relationships but maybe that's just because i'm not as familiar with dnd &D itself and i don't know how it can be integrated i think for me the reason i'm so hungry for like a, a relationship mechanic which is the term i'm going to use to kind of describe kind of like that mm -hmm. gap i'm perceiving mm -hmm. is that you already have these things in dnd &D, like codified things about people's emotions like there's a spell called calm emotions there's a spell called charm person right like these are things that are are meant to like basically dictate your social relationship with another person right mm -hmm. and with with only those tools and those mechanics in play uh raw um it really kind of warps how relationships are perceived generally in the game overall right and <clears throat> I'm I'm a I'm a big proprietor of like let's just like throw very small changes in and see if like if it, if it makes the game more fun or more fulfilling, and I would love just like a small thing like uh, when you were talking about a game with like relation mechanics, I thought you were going to talk about masks because mm -hmm. I actually really like masks relationship mechanic, yes. which is just this person has influence over you. I think it's influence, right? Yes. Yeah. I think that's just very clean. It's just this person when they say something, your character generally does it because they respect them or they care for them and they really appreciate like their input. And if you choose to not do it, change something about yourself. Right. Right. And, and I think that that mechanic is really brilliant and it's so great specifically for masks because masks is about teenagers. Yeah. Uh, and, and emotions. Oh my God. So many emotions. Yeah. It started off as a hack of monster hearts. Um, and, and you can really see that the, it's boots are still there. So, Again, I'm thinking about, like, what kind of goals you want to achieve with your game, right? Like, mm -hmm. masks is about, uh, not necessarily just teenagers, like, young adults. Yeah. Like, forging their identity, finding themselves. It's um, a coming-of-age game. In Yeah, exactly. So, how, like, are you, so are you thinking of, like, 
because like in Dungeon World, they have things. Bonds. Uh, they have bonds. Yeah, those mm-hmm. are super cool in Dungeon World. Yeah, and also there's variations so that there's flags, uh, which are like uh, you, you would have things that are like your personal goals. And then if other people engage with that, then they... Uh, then, then you get an experience, or they get an experience. I don't remember if how. If you resolve bonds in Dungeon World, you get exp- you mark XP. Right. Um. I mean, they they other games like Tales from the Loop. They play Tales from the Loop. Heard of. It's like Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tales from the Loop. Uh, you actually you play as kids, and you don't take harm. You take on conditions, kind of like you do in Masks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all of these kids have anchors. And an anchor could be your parents or a guardian. And so healing this harm involves engaging narratively and in a role-playing mechanic, mm-hmm. like very loosely role-playing with your anchor. In like Coriolis, mm-hmm. uh, interpersonal relationships and how you role-play are actually integral to the progression of the game. While there are, like cr- I say this with air quotes, crunchy mechanics, it just involves adding up three numbers for doing things in combat and there are rules for combat that you can or can go without leveling up in that is never done by gaining xp through action through killing things through surviving space battles you gain xp in that game by participating by putting yourself or your crew in danger or by you know helping somebody who you are close with putting yourself at risk for them mm-hmm. or helping other people. Mm-hmm. There, there are little things in a lot of other RPGs that lend themselves to these interpersonal relationships. Um, but, I mean, you're right, Agatha, there isn't anything that is explicitly for romance except for a handful of games that yeah, have them. Yeah, mm-hmm. I wonder if just even having bonds in D&D could already well, start encouraging? Well, there are. Oh, are there? But they don't But they don't do, do anything. anything. There's, there, yeah. There's, there's a flaw, ideal, and bond that every character has. But your bond could be to, like, an object. My sword. And, and you, don't, you don't get XP for resolving these things. They're just kind of there to, as a guideline. Oh, I see. Like so, the pirate code. So if there's the mechanic of a bond, like the way it is in Dungeon World, in D&D, maybe that could help. They're just the only thing is, like, the way XP scales in D&D, you couldn't say, resolve a bond and mark XP because... You can't mark a one XP in D and D. It is meaningless, uh, right? Because D and D, you get XP either through milestones narratively, or you actually calculate it out. And every time you level up, the next level requires more XP, like a video game. Right. So okay. you can say, well, require a bond, like you know, resolve a bond and mark hundred XP at like fifteenth level. That means nothing. Right. And so there's no incentive to do it. Right. Um, but you know, resolving bonds or you know, engaging with your flaws or engaging with your ideals could say give you advantage or if you use optional rules like hero points. Mm-hmm. But you could only have, say, like one inspiration at a time in 5th edition and hero points are an optional rule. Yep. So they would have to completely change everything or just make using bonds, flaws, and ideals an optional rule. Like in Unearthed Arcana, Wizards hit me up. Let's do this. <laughs> but it would be very difficult to make that a core and central part of the game because it would have to either factor into how everybody is expected to play mm-hmm. or how people improve. Yeah. And you you mentioned before, like the goal of D&D is 
basically kill stuff, get stronger, take their stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not really a game about relationships. Yeah. So you the, make it a game about relationships. Yeah, so I can do it as like a player, as a creator, but you know, if I really want to play a game of relationships, really my options are play a relationship game. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I do think so. I yeah. think different games do different things and that's okay. So on the one hand, I, I do agree with you and that's okay as well. Um, but to whatever degree that uh, D&D is, some, is, you know, maybe modeling or maybe modeling is a bit too strong, uh, is, is allowing us to play out adventure movies. Uh, a romantic subplot has become standard in every kind of movie. Right. Uh, and it, does, it doesn't even have to be a thing. So, like, I do wonder if it's possible to kitbash something else into D&D in those moments when there is about to be a romance. Like you were saying, like, Starcrossed is maybe what, you know, hey, you know, the DM goes, okay, hey, it seems like this is a moment of romantic tension. You know, fingers in the blocks, right? Um, <laughs> Buster or Jenga Tower. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so that might be one way to do that is maybe. to kind of kit bash it in a, a little bit, and maybe whatever you know, maybe Watsi at some point gives us official rules for thing. But it sounds like it would have to be a separate subsystem than the yeah. basic D10 mechanic. I think so. Yeah. So I want to because um, we're running out of time. What what I what I want to do is I just kind of want to share some praise from social media. Uh, praise for you folks. Who is it? Mailbag. Time? It's mailbag time. <laughs> so mailbag. one of them was just like Dong Fong. Yeah. Dong Fong X will lead Starcrossed. Oh, <laughs> but in like the a platonic Starcrossed. Ah, uh, okay. What? How? Unless there is a romance. Um, but that Dong fits Fong... so well because Walid has like struggles trying to express himself. Like I have a friend, someone who mm-hmm. I can like be vulnerable to. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Whoever that person what is if, a genius. What if we? Uh, so that's a shout out to you, uh, Paget Fish. Pagetish. Mm-hmm. Um, what if we had like several Jenga towers and we had several games of Starcross going on simultaneously in one D and D game? It would be like <laughs> the Uber game. That spells disaster. What if one tower falls over and knocks over another tower? Well, then you have to work that into the narrative. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that could be so challenging. Are you saying you're afraid of doing this? Whoa. Okay, now I'm in. Okay, get, get, the, get the wooden blocks right now. Get the wooden, the wooden blocks. Hey, hold on, though. Like, what, what are you, Marty McFly? Like, you chicken you, and you just do it? Is that you what you really, are? You know, we're actually doing something using these wooden blocks in Level Up Gaming. We're actually integrating them with dice with different colored sides and different colored blocks as a way of introducing risk into your game. Hmm, that's Ooh, very cool. Interesting. Yeah, yeah we'll talk off air. Uh, second one was just uh, more comment than a question was... Uh, you all seem super cool and doing important work, and I really like your stuff. Aww. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, thank I am you. super cool. Thank you, Matt no. Hales. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, I mean, you're all super cool. I'm just super grateful that you know we get to do this show. I mean, the past couple of days, there have just been so many people on Twitter who have just responded to our, our, our microscope um, episode or who listened to um, you know, the episode of Dragon Talk that I did. Mm-hmm. And are just like man, they're they're really big fans of Dungeons and Asians, but they didn't know that we talk about this kind of stuff. <laughs> and so people are going back in our catalog and starting from episode one, and just listening to everything. That's great, Sweet. right there. I think I just want to I just want to express gratitude for for what this crew has done. Mm. And like Jade, I miss you so much, Jade. Uh, but like. You know, we're not only are we making a dope actual play, but we're talking about these heavy subjects. We're like sitting here and having a debate over how you can 
introduce romance into D and D if it's possible, mm-hmm. if it's something that D and D needs, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. right? that that is the question. Wait, does it need to be built into the system, or is it something you add later? Mm-hmm. And I don't think we came up with an answer. But no. <laughs> no. I think our answer was that there should be a subsystem. There's just, well, I think the well, answer is I want to really try Starcrossed. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think the answer, like in my mind, the answer is like there are other games where you could play that or introduce them into your D and D game or just play other dope games because there are so many other good games than D and D out there. Yes, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, D and D is great, and, and you can scratch different itches with different games. Yeah, yeah, but I, I, I'm not giving up on this. I, I, I know we talked about this, and, and I, I definitely agree you. that like other games do it better. But I'm just like, where's my one-stop shop for my role-playing itches? So for the Asians Represent Emerald Realms book, we're actually going to write rules for romance. We have to now. What? Oh, yeah. oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. No, I don't know. I'm just, I just said it. I mean, we, we can figure it out. Sure. We can 100% figure it out. Yeah, or just like, it out. Or just like, I feel like when we do this book, one of the things we have to do is it can't just be a campaign setting. It can't just be, you know, classes. I think it's also a place where we make amendments to certain rules that are in fifth edition to make them more inclusive to right to these yeah. things like Asian culture. Yeah. There's yeah. a few skills that yeah. yeah. All right, Steve, counting on you for the romance mechanics. Yep. I, yep. Relationship mechanics and like I'm already buzzing because yeah. like go for like it. it's so common that if an elder tells you to do something, like that carries weight. Mm-hmm. Right, like mm-hmm. someone who's older mm-hmm. and like a blood relative tells you to do something. Yeah, to like I have very vivid memories of like my parents were like, "Of course you're gonna do that." They asked you to do it. Yeah, and I'm like, we can work that in. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also want to shout out to uh, Tony who says hi and says that they just found out about our podcast and they're super excited. They're of mixed. A- they're a mixed Asian person and have been looking forever for a show like this yeah and they also grew up with oriental adventures trying to find other asians in gaming <laughs> yeah and so well tony well welcome to our community i'm mm-hmm. sorry tony i feel for you <laughs> i feel for you yeah i i mean like oh god i i talk about oriental adventures all day um on how much i don't like it <laughs> not, not how much i like it you talked about it at episode one i think episode one so, yeah. and two wants to go back and, and three and two and three and <laughs> Basically, every time we talk about D&D this episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think I want to I wrap this up with, I wanted to wrap it up with some praise um, for just all of you and for just our community for being so awesome. They're so great. They're, they're so awesome. Um, I've been getting movie recommendations after that shout out in the last, thank you so much. Nice. Yeah, with yeah. the cinema needs more movie recommendations. That's so right. Please uh, send them to Amar at Amar Ijaz. On Twitter. That's right. Yeah. Boom. Or at Cinemar. At Cinemar. Oh, Cin- right. Yeah, you know what? Just at Cinemar. Send them to Cinemar. We'll, we'll retweet. Be like, welcome to the Cinemar. <laughs> yeah, no, don't tweet Amar. Tweet, tweet Cinemar. You know what we then need to do? We need to make a series of GIFs of Amar for of Amar. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold of on. What? Okay. what? What did I'll you say? say? GIFs. <laughs> That's it. We are breaking up and I am walking out. <laughs> yeah, I say GIFs too. It's a jife. <laughs> we we need to make a series of jifes of Amar. <laughs> so you know one of the things. Okay, I, I will say this from a representation perspective. I have been trying very hard to do this, and I think this is a whole other episode because I know we can do this because there is a whole. This is like a two-hour discussion at another time. I have been trying to use only Asian people in the jifes I've been using on our Twitter. Oh I've noticed that. I've been doing the same thing. And you, it's very hard because mostly they're all Keanu Reeves. 
um, BTS or um, what was another one? Uh, uh, and of course, like Crazy Rich Asians and stuff like that. And uh, and um, Ali Wong. Yeah, I guess it's easy for me because all my reactions are just Bolo Young. Uh, <laughs> and that just, like, it just makes my life easier. Oh, Bolo Young, what a legend. I know, right? What a legend. Um, but I forgot where I was. I forgot. We were where. shouting out to the community. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Thanks, friends. Thanks for friends. being awesome. Because you are you are a guest on this episode, and thank you, listener, for tuning in. Uh, Asians Represent is part of the One Shot Podcast Network. If you head to oneshotpodcast.com, you can listen to a variety of amazing podcasts like The Broadswords, an all-women actual play Dungeons and Dragons podcast focusing on roleplay, narrative, and diversity at the gaming table. I think it's important to shout out the Broadswords because A, they're they're our pals, but also B, it's a great example 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 of how you can play DD and not engage in all of those rules, but use them when you need to. Mm-hmm. I think they're great. Uh, if you have any questions about this episode's themes, I mean, we talked about real-life romance. We talked about uh, cinematic romance, did movies, television. Then we went into, like, can D- D&D have, like, romance rules? Like, that's that's the title of the episode right there. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about a lot. Uh, if you have any questions about that stuff, you can get in touch with us uh, on Twitter and Instagram at AZNSrepresent or at AZNSrepresent at OneShotPodcast.com. I'm Daniel. I'm Amar. I'm Agatha. I'm Steve. And you've just listened to Asians Represent. Represent.